everyone, welcome back to another episode of Politics and Bullshit. My name is David. It is Monday, November 9th. So, uh, obviously, some uh, congratulations are in order to uh, Biden and Harris. Uh, very happy they won. It's pretty clear they won. So, no matter what Trump says or anyone else, ignore it. We all know pretty much, you know, everything about Biden. You know, he's, he's been in our lives for a long time. Uh, but I wanted to say some quick things about Harris um, because I think some of these um, paragraphs that were written by these two articles say a lot about her and, and the win uh, and, and what she means to the presidency and, and to history. So uh, first, Washington Post uh, says a vice president-elect stepped forward on Saturday and for the first time in American history, she was not a man. Kamala Devi Harris, a daughter of Indian and Jamaican immigrants, is set to become the highest-ranking woman in the nation's 244-year existence, as well as a high-profile representation of the country's increasingly diverse composition. The uh, New York Times says, With her ascension to the vice presidency, Ms. Harris will become the first woman and first woman of color to hold that office, a milestone for a nation in upheaval. Grappling with a damaging history of racial injustice exposed yet again in a divisive election. Miss Harris, 56, embodies the future of a country that is growing more racially diverse, even if the person voters picked for the top of the ticket is a 77-year-old white man. That she has risen higher in the country's leadership than any woman ever has underscores the extraordinary arc of her political career. And uh, I know there's a lot of controversies with Harris, and I am absolutely keen to those controversies and believe in them. Uh, however, for a historical context and for the moment of this country, it is a big moment, and we should be proud of that. Even if we disagree with her past or some policies or things she has done, uh, she has, uh, you know, worked hard. She worked within a system that is corrupt. I'm not saying she fixed it. Uh, I say that we owe her a moment to basically lay out what she thinks is the future and see if she accomplishes those things and perhaps eventually, maybe, I don't know, does good things. So, you know, let's give her a chance to um, to do that. Uh, but yeah, congrats to them. Uh, it's a big moment, even though perhaps this election maybe didn't go the way that I had expected or other people had expected. Uh, but with that being said... We are still in this long-term battle for things. Uh, I was like, I'm gonna go over some things. So just first, I just wanted to say, you know, congrats to them. Uh, please be proud of yourself if you volunteered, donated, talked to friends, talked to family members, had, you know, civil debates or not civil debates, you know, just as long as you were discussing issues with other people and, um, you know, perhaps even getting other people to the polls then you know what you're a true patriot so you know thank you all but yeah let's keep in mind about the the future uh so anyways with that being said moving on to the task at hand um today i just kind of want to go over basically where we are right now with the election even though biden has won um we're still waiting on some other states there's still some possibilities of biden perhaps gaining another state or two i'll go over that I want to talk about what's going on with the House between Democrats and Republicans, what's going on in the Senate, again, between Democrats and Republicans, and where both parties are kind of, uh, where they are right now, what are they saying, what are they kind of indicating to us, cluing us in, and what's going on, uh, what's going on with them behind the scenes. 
So first up, uh, currently Biden leads with 290 electoral votes. Trump has 214 electoral votes. There are three states that have technically not been called yet. Those states are Georgia, Alaska, and North Carolina. It's pretty clear where Georgia's heading. Georgia's looking very blue by like 0.2%. So it is within recount territory. So definitely expect a recount. In fact, I'm pretty sure the Trump administration has already indicated that they will be doing that. With Alaska and North Carolina, it's a little bit unique. Uh, Biden is definitely ahead in North Carolina, I think by around 100,000 votes. They are about 98% in. Now, I am not a math expert, and when I say they are 98% in, that's kind of like a an estimate as because all these mail-in votes and everything, you know, again, this is a, a unprecedented year, and with all these mail-in votes, um, you know, it's kind of hard to give like a actual count of what the total votes are until there are counted, if that makes sense. So North Carolina is still leaning Trump, but apparently with some remaining areas that have yet to be counted do swing more Democrat slash Biden. And the fact that they are mail-in votes, they also lean more Biden. So keep your fingers crossed for North Carolina if, you know, if you want Biden to win it. If you don't, then, you know, you're in a good, you're in a good spot. Alaska is also really interesting too. Again, another state that is leaning Trump and will most likely go to Trump. But the race is still pretty tight. And so is the Senate race there. I think that's why there is still like a little glimpse of hope for Democrats with, and the same goes for North Carolina and Alaska with the Senate race. Uh, so keep your eyes on that. North Carolina has said they will not have their full votes in until November 12th. And then Alaska, I think, is starting to now get to those mail-in votes. So we should know more about that going on this week. All right, so moving on to the House of Representatives. Definitely has not been a great year, I guess we could say, for Democrats. As of now, uh, six Democrat seats have flipped to Republicans. And then Democrats have flipped two Republican seats. So that's a net gain of four seats for Republicans. There are about mm, a good handful of seats still kind of uh, in limbo right now that are still being counted. Uh, some in California, some in New York, some in Texas. So these were states that, or I'm sorry, um, seats that uh, the Democrat House was expecting to win, uh, but they had become more of a competitive race recently. So I am thinking a handful of those are going to go to Republicans. Republicans will probably increase their gains more than the uh, the net gain of four that I just mentioned. So uh, I, I kind of want to talk about that briefly. I'm going to get into more of the overall um, issue of why, you know, these candidates lost who are expected to win. But I also just want to discuss these these seats and then also kind of where we are as a country. So I'm going to take it back to 2018 for a moment where there was essentially a, you know, a blue wave. And we picked up a lot of territory in some very uh, interesting places right so we picked up a lot of house uh, seats in texas and kansas and these very like midwest south very uh you know blue collar working class areas and the democrats essentially did that by a combination of this kind of almost like a repudiation of trump but also on this message of healthcare and very just kind of 
you know, middle economic kind of uh, uh, reasons. You know, they weren't trying to push, you know, uh, universal health care or, you know, expanding the minimum wage or anything like that. It was just, you know, because, again, very Republican areas. Uh, they came in with just a very pocketbook issue kind of uh, platform and, and ended up picking up a lot of seats. Now, two years later, what we're seeing, and this happens, this happens all the time. So um, I hope people <laughs> listen to this part. But usually when there's a drastic flip of an area that goes from a like a red to a blue seat with that state being more heavily red, what tends to happen after maybe a two years, four years, is those seats tend to revert back to where they were. Sometimes certain wins are just based upon certain moments of great optimism or enthusiasm. And sometimes, especially if you're an incumbent president and you've been in power for two years, you tend to rack up a lot of negativity for whatever reason. And then when it's a midterm year, you'll notice that whatever presidential powers in place, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, you'll often find in the midterm year that the opposing party tends to gain. And technically, even though this year wasn't a uh, midterm year, uh, it was still kind of that two-year gap where 2018 was really great for Democrats, but then in these places where we gained, we kind of lost some ground. I chopped that up more so uh, to these uh, red areas that went blue temporarily just didn't have the enthusiasm in that midterm. Remember, midterm years are not that popular. A lot of people don't show up to vote in midterms, even though 2018 was a higher increase midterm year. However, given that this year was a presidential election, a lot of those Republicans or independents or moderates who didn't traditionally vote in midterms, they all came out this year. So I really chopped that them the Democrats losing those seats up to just kind of a simple reverting to the mean of like where those places were at before. Um, I will get into a discussion about, you know, like the, the more progressive, you know, leftist kind of base and the moderate middle centrist establishment and and kind of <laughs> what they're discussing right now i'll get into that in just a moment uh but let me first finish off with uh the senate now so with the senate as we know democrats also did not pick up the seats that we were kind of expecting or the seats that we thought were going to be uh more competitive that turned out to be not really that competitive uh those seats being like maine iowa yeah, those those two are the first to come to mind. North Carolina, definitely, and then obviously the two runoffs in Georgia. As of now, uh, the Republicans have a uh, they have forty eight seats, and then Democrats have forty eight seats. So that is a remaining four seats left, and two of those seats are the two Georgia runoff seats, and then one in Alaska, and then one in North Carolina. Uh, so that's where the Senate is right now. Um, you know, I'm a progressive, so of course I want those Georgia seats to go to the Dems, and I'm hoping for a surprise victory, at least maybe in Alaska or North Carolina, although I am not expecting that. Uh, if I'm Republican, I would definitely feel very confident about where the Senate is. I would expect a Republican to take Alaska and North Carolina, and that would essentially put uh, Republicans in charge of the Senate. And it would be uh, somewhere between 
um, uh, could be an even split. I don't know. It just depends how Georgia goes, really. But assuming um, Republicans do take Alaska and North Carolina, that puts them in a good spot to still maintain control. If maybe one seat and Georgia goes to Democrats and maybe one goes to Republicans, well, that would give, obviously, the Republicans a majority of a of a power in the Senate. Um, so with that being said, if, you know, me being progressive, speaking for the Democrats, that doesn't necessarily mean Biden wouldn't be able to get anything done. It does look like he would be able to reach across the aisle and maybe perhaps get certain senators like, um, uh, obviously, Collins, Murkowski, these more kind of, you know, Romney, you're more, you know, anyone that was willing to kind of defy Trump, <laughs> you know, you, you could count on them to maybe swing your way. Uh, you might even get uh, certain Republicans that maybe have just kept their mouth shut, uh, but do live in peculiar states where, you know, they know they have more moderate left-leaning people there that they want to maybe keep happy about certain things. Uh, I don't really know those senators off the top of my head, um, but, you know, they exist. Uh, but it's an unknown. I'm actually really curious about what the Senate is going to look like with a Biden administration. And this is when, you know, Biden came out, you know, well before he was able to uh, claim the um, you know, to be the Democrat nominee for president that he himself had already discussed with like four to seven Republican senators that they would be willing to roll on certain things. So this is where I would expect him to kind of pull that card and to see if that is something that he can actually do. We live in such partisan times that what worries me is that no one would be willing to work across the aisle anymore. And if that's the case, uh, I, I think it's best for us, you know, f I'm speaking to my team here, my team blue, team left, you know, quoting air quotes there. Uh, guys, keep in mind that even though Joe Biden is the president, if there is Republican control over the Senate, you should right then and there not count in to be passed any sort of Green New Deal, any sort of, you know, uh, public option, uh, any sort of just major Democrat or, you know, progressive left goal. So get that out of your mind. If I were you, someone who's wanting a Green New Deal, universal health care, which I want, um, I would now be focusing on, of course, you know, you know, t talk to your own senators and representatives, but also I would be putting my eyes to, to 2022, basically, for the midterms. Uh, that's where the next real battle would be then. So... You know, you could still be angry at Biden for maybe not pushing for certain things, but just understand that, you know, if he doesn't have the Senate, then he can't really do much about it. And what our, what we should be doing is looking forward to 2022 and right here and now, you know, as we kind of figure out who's going to be running, you know, for Senate, then we need to start kind of looking at, okay, who's going to run as the Democrat and start kind of backing them get their name out there donate to them etc etc so yeah some thoughts on that all right so just moving quickly lastly what i basically just want to discuss is uh what what are the two sides talking about right now what are the democrats saying what's the base saying what's the middle saying same thing with republicans what's the base saying what's the middle saying we're not saying basically so I want to start with the obvious. Obviously, Trump has been 
kind of uh, dishing out this idea that this election is rigged, that millions of illegal votes have been casted, blah, 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 blah. So he's already kind of put this thought out there into the the, the Republican mindset where this has been an illegal election. Uh, however, there have been some prominent Republicans already coming out to, to congratulate Biden, basically. Uh, former President George W. Bush came out. Uh, so did Collins of Maine, although in a very kind of haphazard way. And um, I believe a couple of others have, uh, who I can't remember right now. Uh, but as an opposite to that, uh, there's definitely more fuel on the right for this rigged election. Half of that I can totally understand. I mean, I remember in 2016 when Hillary Clinton lost. And although I wasn't as conspiracy theorist about it as maybe some my my Republican counterparts are uh but you know i was really looking at okay what could hillary clinton do legally to challenge this you know obviously the courts weren't a thing obviously she conceded the day after uh but you know there was all these maneuvers that like well maybe we'll get some faithless electors and maybe they'll vote against trump and maybe they'll save the country you know so i kept like holding on to like these these glimpses of hope even though i knew they weren't going to happen or were just kind of outlandish, and but 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 the point I'm just trying to make is I get it. I get how people feel when their team has lost. It's not fun, um, you know. Regardless if you were for Trump or not, but I I see where the Republican Party is right now. They're kind of in that <laughs> that denial stage where they can't accept that Biden won, even though Biden will most likely win by over more than five million votes. And, uh, you know, their their claims of this election is rigged is really interesting because I find it curious that Biden would run and somehow rig the election, but yet somehow lose the Senate and lose, you know, seats in the House. Like, if you're going to rig an election, uh, you better rig it to win it, right? And if I'm the president and I'm not getting a Senate, then I wouldn't necessarily call that a win. So Republicans are kind of are, are everywhere right now. Uh, Trump is not helping that. He is just adding fuel to the fire, even though privately, you know, he's he's kind of given hints that he knows he's not going to win. But, uh, you know, his like personal attorney bar uh, basically came out saying that he will essentially approve any somewhat legit claims to voter fraud and he will investigate that. So speaking of those investigations, there's been maybe a dozen lawsuits right now. Ten of those lawsuits, I mean, I'm not quoting the exact number. It's at least it's at least ten, up to a dozen. Nine to ten of those have all been dismissed already. They were just the dumbest lawsuits that you could read about. You can Google these if you want. Some people have scripts of the actual court case and, you know, the judge speaking and everything. And these cases have just been riddled with these complaints of people who saying their vote didn't count, but yet they voted. Some voted uh, mail-in, but then wanted to cancel that and vote in person. So they were suing because they couldn't vote in person. But, you know, it was found out, well, you voted by mail and blah, blah. But basically it was like these were not actual cases of actual voter fraud. And it's pretty clear that these uh, Trump lawyers are doing this, well, one, probably because they're getting paid a shit ton of money, but also, two, uh, they're just kind of being forced to do it in a way. You know, Trump is uh, 
Trump is desperate. So go out there and, and get what you can, guys. That's basically like his his um, strategy right now, which is not a great strategy. But perhaps there may be another more kind of a nefarious reason why, um, you know, Trump is refusing to concede and that he wants to kind of keep this um, election fraud kind of message going out. So this is from Washington Examiner. And uh, this was from today. So top Republicans in Washington are reluctant to call Joe Biden the president-elect publicly, fearing a rebellion by grassroots conservatives loyal to President Trump that would sink the party's Senate majority. Uh, It goes on to say, Republican insiders privately concede Biden ousted Trump and dismiss suggestions voter fraud, ballot errors, or other issues would be uncovered sufficient to alter the election. But with the president claiming otherwise and two Georgia runoff elections set for January that will decide the Senate majority, plus midterm elections in 2022, most congressional Republicans are backing Trump. The move is purely transactional, Uh, which, you know, I can understand. I can absolutely understand that. Um, I mean, I always like to say all is fair and love and war in politics. And by all means, go for it. If, if, If you think there's a way forward, have at it. But it just seems like there is not going to be any extreme cases of voter fraud found that would impact any recounts done in Georgia and possibly Wisconsin. And furthermore, uh, this is from Fox News. Uh, Sources close to President Trump told Fox News he plans to graciously concede and commit to a peaceful transfer of power if the campaign's legal challenges fail to open up a path for a second term. So as I mentioned, it being purely transactional, I, I I do think at some point Trump has to concede in some shape, way, or form. Otherwise, he would look really stupid, you know, on Inauguration Day in January, where he may or may not even decide to show up. I don't know. I think for historical purposes and just for, you know, his legacy, it would be very wise to show up and to just be a fucking normal person for once, you know? I mean, regardless if you're Republican or Democrat, whatever, um, you know, we all still expect certain uh, norms with our political leaders. And when those those norms aren't meant, even though you're so angry, like if you are so pro-Trump that you're just fuck Biden, Biden has won fair and square. Therefore, you know, no one has to accept Biden in the same way I didn't accept Trump. But I still accepted him as our president. You know what I mean? Like, I still was very bitter. But I was like, you know what? Then he's our president. I accept that. But I don't accept, you know, his administration in terms of what they do. And, um, yeah. So I I just think that for his own sake, it would be very smart for him just to bow out and and just look good for the history books at this point. Um, Or I guess as good as he can look. So that's basically kind of where Republicans are right now. Um, I would say because of Trump's rhetoric, they haven't quite accepted the results. And I think that has more to do with just just Trump's rhetoric. And as we get closer to Inauguration Day, as these stupid legal challenges just, you know, show up nothing, um, I expect he will do some sort of, you know, quote-unquote coming together thing uh however now for the fun juicy topic oh what's going on with the democrats now this is where this is where a lot of action is right now so republicans you know woke up on you know november i don't know six whatever 
and saw their chances increase of gaining seats, if anything. So Republicans were like, fuck, yeah, this is better than we were thinking. Whereas Democrats woke up or like, holy fuck, what's going on? So as I kind of briefly mentioned before, uh, with the Democrat uh, House losing seats, there was some interesting words uh, exchanged. Uh, So this was according to Politico. Uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her top lieutenants had a stark warning for Democrats Thursday. Swing too far left and they're all but certain to blow their chances in the Georgia runoff that will determine which party controls the Senate. It goes on to say congressional Democrats are collectively pinning their hopes on a pair of Senate races in January in one of the most competitive states in the nation. An outcome that could determine whether Democrats hold all levers of power in Washington next year, despite a disappointing night on Tuesday. Um, I kind of disagree with this. I don't think it was a disappointing night. I just think that our expectations were probably too higher than they should have been. And that's okay. That's where the, uh, you know, the mainstream media was kind of projecting. Um, But, you know, I don't call it a disappointing night. Uh, But those... uh, (laughs) words Pelosi had didn't just end there. Um, This is according to the Washington Post. Uh, An angry dispute erupted among House Democrats on Thursday, with centrist members blasting their liberal colleagues during a private conference call for pushing far-left views that cost the party seats in uh, Tuesday's election that they had worked hard to win two years ago. Uh, they're talking about the gains in 2018. Uh, Washington Post continues to say the bitter exchange, which lasted more than three hours as members sniped back and forth over tactics and ideology, reflected the extent to which the 2020 campaign exposed simmering tensions in the party, even as its presidential nominee, Joe Biden, stands on the brink of achieving their biggest goal of the year, ousting President Trump. And then a, I guess an audio was leaked where a uh, House of Representative member from Virginia, Abigail Spamberger, who won a red district in Virginia, by the way, uh, in 2018. I think she kept her seat. But anyways, um, she criticized her party strategy during a Democratic caucus call. And I think she said something to the extent of, like, like, don't ever make me defend socialism and defunding the police in my district again, basically. And... um, I I am I'm, I'm I understand that I understand her perspective. I was actually really cautious about this back in the summer of last or this year, when you know the uh, murder of George Floyd kind of tipped off this this movement, and um, I was very curious, like I wonder how this is going to affect the election here, and then as it kind of kept getting momentum, you know, majority of it, overly majority of it, peaceful, but then those. Those small, you know, pockets of of uh, rioting and looting that happened throughout the country, uh, then that's when I started to be a little bit more concerned because you know these uh, riots were happening in some competitive states, and I remember right after the murder of Floyd, you know, there was this poll done about people's you know views on Black Lives Matter and the movement, and I think the um, the uh, Basically, the favorability of that movement like skyrocketed to like you know seventy percent or something like that throughout the country, but then once those riots were kind of getting you know media time on Fox News and whatnot, then all of a sudden that's that favorability started to dip down to like the fifties, and 
I understand, you know, Representative Spamberger's comments and that in her district in Virginia, I'm going to guarantee you, they were not pro uh, rioting or looting. And not that the movement was looting or rioting, but that was at least the idea that it was based upon the news that they got. You know, um, the right wing media is very good at taking something and making it something else in that hey look at these protests no they're not protests they're riots so even though majority of those protests were peaceful as long as you were a gathering group of people you were just considered a riot at that point so um i i can agree with spamberger on that uh however the the far left my my fellow progressives and even further you know my leftists um they're kind of I guess message right now is that uh, we didn't, we as in like the Democrat Party didn't engage the base enough. Um, a popular leftist Twitter person who I will not name uh, basically said, corporate Democrats claimed up and down that putting Joe Biden at the top of the ticket was key to flipping the Senate. That stra- strategy failed miserably. And again, I think having these high expectations, whether you're middle Democrat, far left, leftist, whatever, um, you know, you should not have that. I don't think Biden really lost that bad. In fact, you know, he basically won by the same margins that that Trump beat Clinton in, which were pretty big margins. I think essentially where the far left is right now is that they, you know, they were upset that Biden obviously got the nominee. And so, you know, back before, many months before actual election day, you know, a lot of the left was saying how, oh, Biden's not going to win. This is what happens when you put a moderate up against, you know, a conservative. And then Biden wins. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, Biden win, but you guys didn't do that well in the Senate or the House. And I just think both of those tactics are just are just wrong. We won't really know how bad Democrats did till all the votes come in. We still don't even know the final count of the House yet. I would say the only reason why they said Democrats failed was that they were following the polls that we were all following. And based upon the wins not matching with the polls, all of a sudden, I assume that's a failure uh, to them. But that's not a failure. That's more of an error on the polls, if that makes sense. So, you know, the left, far left is not really that happy for a variety of reasons. I don't think they were ever happy with Biden, but they're definitely not happy because Biden didn't, you know, realize this momentous gain that I guess they were either hoping, secretly hoping did happen. But since it didn't happen, then, you know, they're they're all in attack mode. Um, Well, that's at least the Twitter left. So which, you know, does not represent the world. However, there are other far left voices um, that are a little bit more accommodating or or more reasonable. Uh, This is another uh, far left. I guess you could say journalist that I follow on on the Twitter. Uh, She says, It is 100% understandable and correct that people are pointing out that Biden is not a savior. He's not. He was a VP in a problematic administration, and he has a bad history with corporate donations. However, his election ends the Trumpian uh, demolition and makes rebuilding possible. Biden was not the candidate I wanted either, but even in the past few weeks, he has started to talk about trans rights and mention disabled Americans. He can be pushed for better policies. Trump can't. So Biden isn't an end. He's the beginning if we do the work of accountability. And I totally agree. Where she is is exactly where I am. Uh, you know, Biden, never my guy. However, 
if that's the guy the country want, then that's who I'm going to support and we'll keep accountable. And I hope we all keep him accountable. And at least um, while we have reclaimed the House, I, on top of focusing on these Georgia runoffs, will also begin to focus on, you know, 2022 midterms. Who who can we back? Who's a progressive? Because I'm a progressive guy. I'm not saying you have to be or should be, but that's who I'm going to support. And who can we find and back and support them in order to grow the progressive power? Uh, that's basically what House Democrats are fighting over right now. You know, the the moderate Democrat group is obviously the majority of people in power in the House. And I can see why they're frustrated when a small pocket, you know, the left, you know, you're, you're kind of um, your your AOCs. Uh, have a which i agree with have a way of kind of stealing the the conversation and pushing perhaps a conversation that maybe they don't want to push and that group even though they are amazing there's a very small group i just want to see that group become more bigger essentially i want to see them improve their seats and their power so then they can actually do more with policy uh but you know, if I'm if I'm in that group, I would at least caution, you know, my my more left people to like, okay, let's play strategy here. This is an election year. Let's focus on this. Maybe slow down on that, and then next year, let's 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 go here. You know, like just just be more strategic. Basically, is what I'm saying. All right, I think that's basically all I wanted to mention. I just kind of word vomited that all out. I just wanted to kind of give you guys a taste of like where we are where the energy is, who's fighting with who, who's trying to do what. Uh, the election, at least for, you know, for the most part, is over, but there's still just like little battles that have to be won. And uh, we're going to continuously having these battles, essentially probably till Biden gets, it, it, you know, gets into office on Inauguration Day. Trump is going to do everything he can to essentially now improve Republican power in the runoffs. Trump's agenda is to basically do what he can to uh, solidify Republican power into a new administration. So keep that in mind as you see these people allowing Trump not to concede. They're using that to benefit their chances in Georgia. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, my next episode, I think I'm going to do a conversation about polls. Uh, I'm going to talk about what they are, how it works, you know, hopefully provide some people some context around polls and, and maybe some ideas of how to read polls. Because sometimes I think people see a number and like, oh, yeah, that's the number, but they don't understand probability or how probability affects those numbers or how one thing can affect that poll number, you know. So I want to go over that and then I'll go over the exit polls from the election once everything kind of gets more finalized. Then we can actually dig into the data data, and find out, okay, why did this Democrat pick up in 2018, lose in 2020? Why in South Texas was there an increase in Latin votes for Trump and not for Latin votes in Arizona? You know, so things like that. So uh, look out for that. And then probably after that, I'll be done with election conversations you know I, I was debating not doing one today but i feel like there's still some interesting things developing that can impact the next you know couple of years so i wanted to discuss that and then i want to discuss polls and then i'll go back into just kind of being like on top of the news 
And uh, so that'll be much more fun. So anyways, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. Uh, check back. I don't know. I'm kind of just putting these episodes out as as I feel like it. Uh, but thank you for listening. Check me out on social media. I'm on Instagram. I am Mr. Underscore Hippo. M-R underscore H-I-P-P-0. I post all sorts of fun things there. I'm on Twitter as well. I am D-M-S-T-D underscore M underscore S underscore T. All right, guys. Have a wonderful day. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Bye.